Our second scripture reading for today comes to us from the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 1. Daniel, chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 1. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1,824. Oh, I am wrong. <laughs> I have it written wrong here. Yeah, 1,389. Good catch. All right, Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this vision, this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me, trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and he said, and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the great, the prince of Greece will come. 
But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against him except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. These are the words of the Lord. May they give you strength and encouragement. Behind many of the human conflicts in this world, there is a spiritual battle being waged. In Daniel 10, we get a glimpse of this heavenly war. The curtain has been pulled back, unveiling the greater reality of the forces that struggle with one another. We are confronted with the fact that angels and demons are battling for the souls of God's people. What we just read this morning begins what is the longest unit in the book of Daniel. Chapters 10, 11, and 12, they're all part of one storyline. Today we're going to focus our attention on chapter 10 and the significance of this angelic visit. But to fully understand what is happening here, we must first understand one of the broader themes that permeates throughout Scripture. From the Israelites conquering the promised land to Paul encouraging Timothy to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ, this motif of a holy war can be seen throughout God's Word. Biblically, the central figure in these holy wars is Yahweh, the divine warrior. God fights for his people and he fights for his glory. The flip side of this is that God uses his people to judge the nations. In a sense, they are his sword against his enemies. When the Israelites left Egypt. They were wandering through the wilderness, and they waged war with different nations. In these conflicts, they would bring the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle. God was leading the charge. When Gideon attacked the Midianites, God told Gideon that he had too many men. So God winnowed their numbers down from 20,000 to 300. You see, Israel, they were not supposed to trust in their own strength, but their faith needed to be placed solely in this divine warrior. Later in the book of Judges, we see that God only needed one sinful man to take down the Philistines. Through Samson, God defeated a nation. Yahweh is the divine warrior, and he rescues his people in battle. However, when Israel had sinned, and when they had broken their covenant with God, they became the brunt of God's judgment instead of the tool. This is what we saw in Daniel chapter 1, when Nebuchadnezzar took many of the Jews captive, and he ransacked the temple. You see... Though God fights for his people, he's not on their side. It's precisely the opposite. A person can only truly be considered one of God's people if they are on his side. 
Nowhere is this more clear than in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Right before the battle of Jericho, Yahweh comes to Joshua with his sword drawn. And he tells Joshua that he is neither for Israel nor their enemies. He is the commander of the Lord's army, not Joshua. Joshua is either on God's side or he is against him. There is no middle ground. If you are on God's side, then he will fight your battles for you. Yet if you oppose God, he will lead the charge against you. God is not on your side. That's not how it works. Either you are on his side or you are his enemy. With all this in mind, let's dig into our text for today. Our story, it takes place during the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So roughly the year 536 B.C. Because of Cyrus's decree, many Jews had already returned to the promised land. And though the temple had not yet been rebuilt, the altar of burnt offering had. So the evening and the morning sacrifices were being made once again. Daniel, however had been in a state of mourning for three weeks. He had abstained from the pleasures of this life. He ate no meat, he drank no wine, and he used no lotions during that time. He was seeking the Lord in prayer for his people. Let's pick up our story in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, As I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. For reasons that I'll get into a little bit later, we can be confident that this figure hovering over the water, is an angel and not Jesus. Even though this description is very similar to the description of Christ in the book of Revelation. 
Now, we don't know which angel this is, but from his appearance, appearance, he was marvelous to behold. Everything about this creature exuded power and might. This vision was too much for Daniel. It overwhelmed him to the point that his strength had left him and his face had turned deathly pale. As the text said, he was helpless. The frailty of man is on display here. We are mortal creatures. And in the long run, our bodies, they will ultimately fail us. Next to this angelic being, Daniel, he must have felt like an insect. For fear had overtaken him. And he had fallen into a deep sleep at the sound of this angelic voice. He needed to be strengthened. Verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Daniel needed strengthening because in his own power, he could not wake and he could not stand. This touching of the hand was the first of six encouragements that would revive Daniel from his terror. He was now trembling, but he was on his hands and his knees. A second measure was necessary. So the angel spoke to Daniel, calling him highly esteemed and commanding him to stand. Daniel is precious to God. And he should take joy in that thought. These words, they encouraged him enough that he was now able to stand though he trembled as he did so. And similar to what we read in Daniel chapter 9, we see here that Daniel's prayer was immediately heard. Yet there is one slight difference. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This powerful angelic being had been delayed by the prince of Persia. It's this little detail that lets us know what type of being had visited Daniel. This is why I say that the visitor could not have been our Lord Jesus For there is no power in all of creation that can resist our Lord. Yet this angel that came to Daniel, he was resisted for 21 days by the prince of Persia. There are forces in our world behind the powers that be. There are evil spirits that battle against the purposes of God. This prince of Persia was not referring to Cyrus the Great. I really doubt that any human, no matter how powerful they are, could contend with one of God's mighty angels, especially for 21 days. 
No, there was an evil entity trying to maintain his dominion over the people of this land. Dear friends, there are evil powers that support the human kingdoms and institutions that oppress God's people. Remember, there are only two choices. Either you are on God's side or you are his enemy. This is how it has been since sin entered the world. At the end of this 21-day struggle, God had sent the archangel Michael to aid this messenger, subduing the prince of Persia and allowing the angel to speak to Daniel. Verse 14. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. We'll cover this in more detail when we dive into chapter 11. But for now, know that this message that's for Daniel concerned the future of Israel. And it was of such importance that a battle in the heavens was waged over its delivery. Verse 15. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Once again, Daniel's strength is waning. His head was bowed. He could not speak. A touch of the lips opened Daniel's mouth, allowing him to respond. Yet all Daniel could do was to confess his weakness. He was undone. How can a sinful man stand in the presence of such a glorious being? This is common with angelic visitations. Even the Apostle John succumbed to the glory of God's angel in his apocalyptic vision. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says this, At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. These angelic beings are awesome to behold. Yet they are creatures like you and me. They are not the creator. Let's continue on. Verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Once more, a touch and a word of encouragement. Do not be afraid, O oh man, highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. 
This angelic being was readying Daniel for the message that God had prepared for him. And Daniel was strengthened. And he was now prepared to listen. Yet before the message began, the angel spoke once more of a holy war. A spiritual battle that would soon take place. Look at verse 20. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. The clash of 21 days was now over, but the war still continued on. Another battle loomed over the horizon. But before rejoining the conflict, this messenger would fulfill his assignment to Daniel. This angel had fought for God's people since the first year of King Darius, when the decree to return to the promised land was issued. You see, what he is communicating to Daniel was that a holy war in the heavens was fought to bring this decree about. But the angel also reminds Daniel that this evil prince of Persia still fights. Though the Jews had been allowed to return to their homeland, the Persians were still in control and they were still oppressing God's people. And very soon, the Greeks would come to do the very same thing. They would come in with their war machine and their Hellenization. Yet the book of truth shall be revealed. God would show to Daniel his sovereign, that his sovereign hand governs over the affairs of men. The divine warrior would fight for his people. As Christians, you too are in a holy war. There are spiritual battles taking place in the heavenlies, making an impact on your world. Satan is your ultimate enemy, and you should not underestimate his strength. Remember, he is a fallen angel. Daniel was undone before the power of this angelic being. And the same would be said of you if the devil chose to fully reveal himself in front of you. Yet you are not to shrink back, for you are called to be soldiers for Christ. You are to fight, but not in your own strength. In the Old Testament, the people of God battled flesh and blood. At the command of Yahweh, they took up their swords. You, however, are under a new covenant. Your battle does not look the same. The war you wage is on three fronts. First, you battle against the evils of this world. Those who persecute your brothers and sisters in Christ. The abortionists, the human traffickers, and at times even those within the church. Institutions such as governments and schools and churches they're not these abstract entities that exist without human involvement. 
They consist of real people. We are talking about a spiritual battle involving human beings on both sides. Yet you do not battle by picking up your sword. Rather, you contest against ideologies by speaking the truth of God's word. Second, you wage war to win souls. Evangelism has taken the place of physical warfare. And just as a general directs his army, we too must be strategic in our battle plan. Jesus called his apostles to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he charges you to be his witness in Allegan, in Michigan, throughout the U.S., and to the ends of the earth. At our missions night last Tuesday, you saw some of the impact that you are having on countries like Hungary, Papua New Guinea, Mexico, and Thailand. Financially, you give to these things. But do you pray for these missionaries? Are you battling alongside them? Finally, we clash against our old self. This is a civil war. You are fighting against your closest friend, that part of you that you do not want to kill. You see, deep down, you enjoy your sin, and you come up with ways to justify it. Yet ultimately, this old self is in a struggle against God. The evils of this world, the battle to win souls, and the civil war within. For the Christian, warfare has shifted from a physical contest to a spiritual battle. And it is one that you must fight with spiritual weapons, not physical ones. The Apostle Paul hits on this very point in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, I don't have time to fully exegete this text, but I want to highlight the equipment that God has given to you for the battle. First, there is the belt of truth, and it is with this belt that your loose garments are held secure, allowing you to move freely. 
You see, the lies of the enemy, they only entangle. But the truth of God's word brings true freedom. Next, there's a breastplate of righteousness. It's Jesus who imputes to you his righteousness. He does this for all those who repent and trust in him. And as a breastplate, it protects your new heart, that heart that desires to follow God. Third, your feet need to be fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. This is a call for you to take action. You are to go and proclaim this good news to your neighbor. Fourth, you take up the shield of faith. This will protect you from the flaming arrows of doubt that come from the evil one. Fifth, you are to put on the helmet of salvation. This is the knowledge of your security in Christ. Once you are firmly planted in your eternal standing, then you will not be afraid of anything that man can do against you. It is the helmet of salvation that brings courage to the martyrs of the faith. And finally, you must pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is your offensive weapon because it holds the power of God. And after you put on this armor, what does Paul tell you to do? He commands you to pray. This is how you battle. Remember, Daniel had been praying for three weeks. For three weeks, he had been waging war. Since coming to this church, one of my weekly joys has been going to the Wednesday night prayer meetings. It is a chance for us to battle together. I invite every one of you to come. Let's wage war with a unified front. Yet in all this, you must remember that God is the divine warrior who is fighting for you. The irony of the gospel is that the battle was won through the death of your champion. Christ was victorious at the cross. It was there that he took up your sins, paying the penalty that you deserved. But this victory is an already not yet event. That is, the victory has been secured on the cross, but it still awaits its final consummation. Until that day, you must put on the whole armor of God. In prayer, you battle against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Yet you do not battle alone. For you have the commander of the Lord's army leading the charge. Jesus will deliver the victory. Let us pray. Father, you are our warrior king. You have faced down the forces of evil and secured victory for your people. You have gained this triumph through your son, who defeated our enemies at the cross. Through the work of your Holy Spirit, you have given to each of us the armor that we need to fight alongside you. 
just as you strengthened Daniel. Help us to be strong. Wake us up. Set us on our feet. Ready us for your message. Touch our lips so that we may boldly speak that book of truth to a world that does not know you. Help us to wage war, that war that's within ourselves, that's in each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.